Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping product managers become product masters. Listen and get ready to take your career to the next level for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and this is where you make your move from product manager to product master. Product masters have the influence and confidence they need to create products customers love. And each time you listen to this podcast, you're becoming a product master. Help one of your colleagues do the same by telling them how valuable this podcast is. I appreciate you sharing it. Today's topic is the product management of APIs, application program interfaces. They enable software systems to share information and interact. In the past, I've thought of APIs as part of a software system. It's another activity on a project schedule to complete in the process of actually creating a software system. It's just something that needs to get done, you know, to provide that API. Our guest convinced me to think about it differently, to think of them as a product and to manage APIs as such. He has been involved in a few API projects, currently working for Ford and creating an API for Lyft and others that will be used by autonomous vehicles. Our guest is Brian Hicks, Senior Product Manager at Ford Motor Company. He has also worked for SAP, AT&T, and been an innovation consultant. Even if you're not a software product manager, I expect to find the discussion valuable, particularly examining the different categories of customers for a product. The summary of our discussion is at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 180. Enjoy the interview. Ryan, thanks for joining the Everyday Innovators. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on the show. Well, and we're talking about a different sort of thing, even though I have a background in software, you know, software product management. We're going to dive into APIs a little bit and looking at them in terms of a product context, which we had a really, you and I had an interesting discussion about this a few weeks ago, and I thought, you know, there's something there for us to explore, and you brought out some really good points, so I'm excited about this. But first, there's a bigger context. You've been doing some work with Ford and Lyft around autonomous vehicles. Tell us about what you have going on there. Yeah, absolutely. So Ford, like many of the automakers and and technologies combined, are working on building autonomous vehicles, right, Mm self-driving cars. Um, And the plan is that Ford will own own a fleet of these autonomous vehicles. And then the question is, okay, what do you do with them? Right. All right. And we want them to be as highly utilized as possible, doing as many highly valuable things as we can. Um, And so a couple of different approaches, we could go and, and try and build out our own you know, applications and our own network of customers mm-hmm. and all that. But working with Lyft, they have a huge network of customers already. And so we were using APIs to be able to connect into uh, their network so that when they get a ride request from a, a rider that wants to go from point A to point B, we can we can feel that request, right? Mm-hmm. So they send it to us and say, hey, you've got a car for this. We say yes, and and then we can fulfill it for them. That makes sense. Yeah, and this is the big growth area for Uber and Lyft, right? Once we have autonomous vehicles, likely one or both of those, maybe someone else that pops up, will be the services that help us do the scheduling as consumers and get vehicles to show up when we need them. And right, it's going to be a very different world when that happens. Yeah, and for us, uh, so Lyft is one of them, but we've also announced a partnership with Postmates and with Domino's. Okay, um, and recently. Um, went public with Miami being our first city for for our Ford autonomous vehicles. And we're working with all three of those partners there. Yeah, def- definitely a cutting edge area, right? I think everyone's yeah. interested in autonomous vehicles and what's going to happen with that. So some pretty exciting work in that integration going on with Ford and Lyft. And as an integration, 
we work with APIs to get that done. So can you just give us an overview of, of APIs in general and why they're important? Yeah, absolutely. So APIs, as, as you mentioned, are very old. All right, they've essentially been allowing different pieces of software to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, but as a web service API or kind of between companies, it's relatively new. And this is really about how can I create a, a software contract basically between two applications and say, hey, I'm going to share this information with you. And when I do, I want you to share this information back or this functionality. So um, I also worked at AT&T and I used to use the example, you know, to send a text message, you used to have to pick up a phone and send a text message with it. Mm-hmm. But when you create an API, then someone can just put in, okay, this is the phone number I want you to send it to. This is the message. And then with that API, send a text message. So then it allows computers to do things that before, you know, were maybe in a different form factor. And these are fairly common. Yes. A lot of the consumer software we use is integrated with each other. You know, the, when we got on the bandwagon of Microsoft Office, right, we used to have, this was a long time ago, I understand for listeners, that not everyone will remember this context, but there was Microsoft Excel, which stood by itself, and there was Microsoft Word that stood by itself, and the two did not know how to exchange information. And then they brought it under one umbrella, and now we had an API between them, and so they could integrate, they could share information and talk with each other. And a lot of software have these APIs available, but you've been thinking about this in a different context, which is really to focus on the API as a product itself. Yep. And frankly, when we first talked about this, I was a little bit dismissive, at least mentally, about going, I don't really know if there's a product there, right? There's this bigger picture. But the more we talked about it, I was buying into this notion that, yeah, that does change how you think about knowing that this is an API that does change from a product management perspective. How you think about things a little bit. Let's start with the customer part of that. So the, the, this Ford Lyft case, you're building this API for Ford and Lyft to talk together. Who do you think of as the customers for that API product? Yeah, so with almost all API products, you have really three distinct customers. So you have the developers themselves that actually code with that API. They're, they're customers of yours because they're actually going to be the one that directly consume it. Then there's the person that pays for those developers to use that API, which usually is not the developer, but but sometimes it is. And then there's the end user of the application that's written with the APIs you provide them. So you have to think about all three of those customers when you're going to do an API as a product, because any one of them can really dramatically reduce your adoption. Hmm. So if the developers don't want to code with it, it's going to be really you know tough to get adoption of that API. And and if the end users, it doesn't easily kind of provide the functionality that end users are looking for, then ultimately, even if the developers like the API, they'll switch to something that better supports their end users. Right. So it may not be an immediate impact, but down the line, they'll find out like, this is not not working for me. Mm-hmm. So with Lyft, Lyft is the kind of the buyer of the API product, but they're not really buying the API. They're buying a self-driving vehicle to take a customer from A to B. And the API is the delivery mechanism. But that delivery mechanism makes sense in this context because they have an application and they want to integrate it in there, right? Mm -hmm. We could create a dispatch center and and things like that, but it would be a very inefficient way for them to purchase that that service from us. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So that's why we chose APIs. Let me just walk through this a little bit back with you. So you identified Lyft as the buyer, 
but but they have this bigger picture. The, the context, obviously, they're wanting to provide a service to a consumer like me to make it easy to get an autonomous vehicle to pick me up or or maybe deliver something to me or the like. So they just want a way to get that done. So, th- so they're looking for a solution or a service to, to satisfy that need. They get connected with Ford, thinking that Ford's going to have this fleet of vehicles to make that part possible for them. And somehow Lyft software needs to talk to Ford software to make cars show up at the right place at the right time. So that's the the big context here. The developers who are coding with this, I imagine you in the role of the product manager creating this API and thinking about this as a product for them, you're thinking about Lyft as a customer, right? What we just went through. You're thinking about the developers that are going to turn this into what the end users see, but you don't really know details of that, I don't imagine, right? You don't have clear insights into that? Or are you working also with the developers about what their product roadmap kind of looks like. Yeah, so we do work with uh, we work with Lyft's business team and then also with Lyft's development team to make sure that those line up on both sides. Um, but one of the interesting things and one of the real big advantages of APIs is if you build them in a as generic a way as you can, mm-hmm. it also allows for innovation that no one expected. Mm, okay. so, and you've seen this a lot in the open API space, right? Where they're public APIs where people build applications that the initial provider of the API never expected to happen. Okay. The innovation that occurs, I guess, in multiple ways, because the, the developers themselves that are using the API, right, they, they now see new things that could be done, as well as new things that they have to get done. So let, let's explore that one first. How then do you respond to change requests, feature requests to the API? How, how do you make this work for your developer customer? Yeah, so... First off, one really important thing with with changes to APIs mm-hmm. is you really have to think of an API as a contract, mm-hmm. and you want to avoid changes as much as possible. Because unlike a UI where you know maybe somebody grumbles about it, but ultimately a human will figure it out, machines don't just readjust when you change the API on them. So there's a lot of thought into um, first when you go out with an API, go out with the things that you think like these are the absolute absolute necessary thing we have to have in this API. So for us, we said, you know, you need to be able to have a request request ride API. So I request a ride, I want to give it an origin and destination. And then when I think about change requests, I think, okay, how can I make this backwards compatible? Hmm. Right? So for example, we, we started working with Lyft and then we started working with Postmates. One delivers goods and one moves people. So now I can add an optional parameter of of ride type to that request API. And then that allows me to say, okay, maybe I have different parameters for when I'm moving goods versus moving people, but it's the same core API. So if I do that, then there's no code that anybody has to change, but it allows people to do incremental functionality. So now take take the new capability, because you've added this optional parameter or parameters, without having to change how they're actually using the integration now. Right, exactly. At times, I imagine there's also, you, you find yourself in a dilemma that there's advantages and disadvantages of extending an existing API through optional parameters and really wanting to create another API, right? So may, yep. maybe we have the request, request ride API, and we, we also have the, I don't know, request ride API with some delay or something, right? Version so, 2. Yeah, right, <laughs> yeah. Another capability. What do you think about when making those kinds of of decisions between the options. Obviously, people using the existing API can continue using the version they have, 
But if there's really advantages of moving the new one, then you probably want them to move it to the new version too. Yeah. There's advantages for them to move to the new one, but there's also great advantages for the API provider to kind of keep people on one version of the API. Mm -hmm. The more versions you have out, the more you have to support. True. Um, So a lot of it is around a deprecation strategy. So if I'm going to have different versions of an API, um, and some people propose you should be versionless um, and always keep backwards compatibility, but most most people feel like that's not really achievable. So if you are going to create a new version, you want to make sure that you send messages in the API itself that, that you know, you're using a, an API that's going to be deprecated in three months, whatever, and then just communicate, communicate, communicate that that's going to happen because the last thing you want is to make developers and businesses mad when all of a sudden they wake up and their app's broken right? because um, their version's not supported anymore. Right. The, the, there's a scale issue there. I want to ask yeah. you about that too. But before I leave the, these three customers, so we, we've explored the developer a little bit and some of the, the constraints going on there with you have a, a, this contract with your developer, right? The API is a contract of what can be done. Uh, making changes and enhancements, you want to not really mess with the fundamental contract that's been put in place because then things break a lot. The person who's buying the capability, right? So Lyft as an organization, they're thinking about the end user that they're building this capability for. And you mentioned a, a reason for thinking about an API as a product itself is the added innovation that can be brought to bear, right? So the developers or maybe one of the other customers in the chain might come up with something other to do. And you have new customers that have come on board, right? So Postmate, you mentioned Domino's, you mentioned. Yep. Domino's, Postmates, and Lyft so far. Okay. And I imagine as you're building this out, you are envisioning that opportunity because the reason to put an API out is so anyone can show up and take advantage of the capabilities you've created, right? Right. Talk through how that factors into the thinking here too, right? You're initially focused on Lyft as a customer. You know what they want to accomplish. And then we hope that there's other customers that will have some form of this problem that they want to solve too. Right. Yeah. And then so that kind of gets into when you're thinking about an API strategy, there's internal APIs, which are purely for use within the company. And that's you know, the vast majority of API usage is by with internal to a company specifically. Mm-hmm. And then there's a private APIs, which is what we're currently doing around um, the autonomous vehicles. So we've only exposed them to partners on a, you know, a per partner basis. And then there's public APIs. And that's, you know, Google Maps is a good example of a public API where anyone can go sign up and use that API. Right. Um, and there are advantages and disadvantages to each one. But Playing in the private space gives us a little bit more control and visibility into how the API is being used. Mm-hmm. Um, and and who knows, maybe it will be a public API um, someday. Um, but typically, you kind of start internal, then move to private, then move to public, um, partly to better understand what your customers want and partly to not break that contract. So there's been high-profile cases in the past where a company's gone out with a public API and then decided, we're not going to do that anymore. Right. Um, Twitter was a good example. They did that and got a whole bunch of flack from the community. And I'm not aware of the, what happened there with Twitter, but were people using this in bad ways, like bots doing things automatically or something? Um, not not bad ways per se. So they were building what some people viewed to be better clients for Twitter. Hmm. But then that that means you're not on Twitter's website, uh, and that's what Twitter didn't want. Um, or decided later that they didn't want. Right. So they pulled back their API. Um, and then, of course, all these very successful Twitter clients then you know, didn't work right. anymore. 
Right. So. And back to that contract thinking, right? That you, you have yeah. now violated the contract. You've set an expectation with a group of customers that you're going to be changing on them. The, to ask you, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about this a little bit differently. The Lyft was the initial customer, but as you're developing yeah. this API, you're probably suspecting that you're going to have other partnerships in the future. You know, when we think about software, sometimes we get wrapped around software systems by putting too much emphasis on the architecture in the beginning. And I've been involved in too many projects over the years that are like this. Like, you know, we're going to have 100,000 customers on the system um, that we have to support, right? Well, we don't have two yet, right? right. We, 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 <laughs> yeah. we kind of needed to prove the concept and get there. And development team might spend a lot of energy architecting for the big picture when we never know if we're going to achieve the big picture, Right. Um, which I personally find it to be a big waste of everyone's time involved. The when it comes to the API, what's your perspective on that? That how how much time do you think about? Yeah, Lyft is our current customer, but we're going to have others that will want to do similar things, but kind of different. Do you start thinking about that now, or do you just focus on Lyft and then extend the API uh, in the future as needed? Yeah, so I like to always focus on at least two customers. Mm -hmm. um, if I focus on just one, then you, you kind of get a little custom development-ish. You know, you bend too much towards one particular customer's needs. So it's great that we have both Lyft and Postmates that we're working with. But I totally agree with your point. And I, I think it's, for me, a big part of the lean startup kind of methodology where, for example, on the API we have now, little secret, uh, there's no, a no AVs that move when you call our API. Hmm. So it actually is not even connected to the vehicles. We wanted to get out there as early as possible with the interface. Mm -hmm. And so we've simulated all the AVs on the back. Okay. Um, and so that was a way for us to like, let's not wait until we have an AV that moves to validate how companies would want to interact with our autonomous vehicles. Right. But, but that's just a change to your internal APIs later. Yeah. When right. you actually are. Um, and a lot of things start that way, right? We, we simulate... You know, I, I know someone who was quite successful selling a website that let you do some government form work easier. And it looked like to you as a user that you filled in your information in this government form and magic happened. And they had a, a fleet of people in an office doing all the manual stuff for you before they automated anything, right? Which is a really good approach. The human API. Yeah, right? Really good approach because <laughs> you can test out the idea. And in this case, they were able to sell the company before they even had the the automation in place because someone wanted the, the that branding. Okay. So we have three different customers, some benefits of the API being some innovation that you can also gather from this because other people are now thinking about capabilities. And anytime we broaden who's thinking about the capability, we usually get some better ideas coming into it, right? Uh, which is helpful. Other advantages that come to mind on an API as a product? So one of my one of my favorite parts of an API as a product is it allows you each of the companies in it in the end user product to focus on their core competency. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously Ford is an auto manufacturer. Um, they have purchased Argo AI, which is they're helping us do the brains of the autonomous vehicle. That's not Lyft's core business. And you know, doing ride hailing applications and building those networks and algorithms is not our core business. And so this API allows each of us to focus on our core business while still serving the end customer. So it's kind of mm -hmm. like similar to how we source components for our physical cars from a bunch of different companies. Mm -hmm. APIs allow software companies to do the same thing, source that um, functionality from other companies. Yeah, it's a good way of thinking of it. 
And there's a lot of crossover here between thinking of an API, the way we're talking about it, and, and software as a service, and that we're getting these services to people. Like I, I use Stripe for, you know, when people buy training from them, they have the option of using PayPal if they want directly or entering a credit card and the credit card goes over Stripe and Stripe is a merchant service that is yeah. only an API, right? The right. And I don't want to take my time trying to figure out how to program for their API. So I have a plugin that does that for me, right? It's already figured this out, but. Yeah, APIs are kind of the, the software as a service equivalent for people that are building applications, mm-hmm. right? Okay. In my life, I don't want to do anything with, with hosting an email server. So I use Gmail. Right. And then if, if I don't want to worry about mapping the world so I can have a map in my application, then I use the Google Maps API. Yeah. What, what are the options for distributing a API that's a product? Like the work you're doing with Ford and Lyft or what you did before with AT&T or, or just in general. I would imagine that, that you can do this as a software as a service type model. Yes, certainly for, for business models. And actually, so my, my boss, John Musser, is kind of the API business model guru and went through. And if you, you Google... API business models, John Musser, he's got a whole presentation on all of the many different business models you can use with an API. But I think this is the best way to think about how you, what go-to-market strategy you use with an API is to remember, I'm not selling an API. I'm selling some value, whether that's data or functionality, and what's the pricing for that? So we we haven't gone forward with what pricing will be for this this service itself, but I, I did... Um, a previous product I did around recording mobile phone calls for the financial industry. Mm-hmm. In that industry, they were already recording landline phone calls. And so there was always already a pricing model for how they paid for landline recording. Mm-hmm. Even though our product was just an API, we matched that pricing model, right? So we charged per minute recorded and then, you know, an archival storage fee. Right. And so that's that's what I try to do with APIs. What's the industry standard and how do we match, you know, the model to the value, yeah. just like you'd price any other. That, that makes sense. You know, how's the customer already thinking about this? You know, if I'm used to paying three cents a minute or whatever it is, right? For a phone call, we don't distinguish between a landline phone call and a mobile phone call in our heads as customers, right? It's just right. a phone call. Yeah, and a lot of people default to I'll just charge per API call, but that's not always a great model. So, for example, there we had an API for connecting a new a new phone for recording mobile phone calls. Mm-hmm. It would be a terrible model to charge for that API because what you want them to do is provision as many phones as possible to record as many phone calls as possible. Right. Right. So right. it's important to think about it as what's the value they're going to get and how do I match my price to that? Yeah, the, the value of an individual API differs from others, certainly. Yeah. And thinking about what is the actual capability you're delivering that the end user is putting together really for the for the customer. Yeah. And some, some do map well to per API calls, like if it's data. Okay. Right. I want to pay for data through an API. Each time I get data, there's a certain value to me. So per API call makes a lot of sense there. Lots of options. I, I should probably find a link to that uh, business model presentation that your boss has done. And yeah, that, I'll send it to you. That, that'd be great. We can include that in the show notes for people to check out too. The product managers, you, you talked a little bit earlier just about the that you are involved with product managers like at Lyft and how they're going to be using this a little bit. What is that picture like? Because you're working on this API. You're the product manager of this API as a product. 
is going to be used by others inside Ford, like the people that are going to figure out how to make your autonomous vehicle show up at the right place. It's going to be used by with partners like Lyft. Now there's lots of, of gears in motion, right? And timelines to line up and people that have their own product roadmaps going on for different aspects. How do you see into that or how do you work with these other product managers? Yeah. So one of the first things I do with product managers, um, whether inside or outside the company, is let's try and align on what the interface is. So it's it's very similar to how microservices type architecture has been successful is I have this piece of functionality, but I'm going to keep as as consistent as possible the interface to that functionality. So that way we can both develop independently and we know when we get back together, we're going to be able to talk to each other. Mm -hmm. So that's how we've done it also, um, even with talking to the vehicle is, okay, this is what the interface is going to be. And now you go build the car that drives itself and I'll build the, uh, the API that we can connect in all these different networks. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's been a key. Okay. And I would think in the beginning, there's some kickoff meeting or, or series of meetings when a new partner would come on board about, you know, let's understand the big picture of what you're trying to accomplish for your customer. So we have that context for creating the API for your developers. Right. Yep. Yeah. I don't want to API product management. It's, is still at its core product management. So a lot of it is how do you understand what your customers mm-hmm. want? How do you, uh, you know, talk to them about roadmaps? So a lot of that is very similar. I think some of the key differences are, whereas in some other product management roles, the design of the tech isn't as crucial. Like you want to make sure it does what you want it to, but you don't care how it, how it's done in the code itself. Mm-hmm. One of your customers is a developer. So the design of that API at a technical level is still part of, what you need to make sure is right or, or best as an API product manager, mm-hmm. which maybe you don't care about otherwise. And then having those three different customers, the developers, the, you know, the customer that's going to pay for it, and then the end user, I think yeah. are the key differences. And this is a case where at times we talk about the different strengths a product manager needs, right? Like strong on design or strong on business, strong on tech. This would be a case where the tech strength would probably stand out yeah. uh, because you need to make this make sense for the developers and, and be current for how whatever's going on in the world of development at the time and what kind of standards are being used for interfaces and the like. Yep, definitely. Okay. So I would think as a API product manager, it would be easy to fall into the situation of your role becoming more just being responsive to your partner and basically an outsourced software job shop, right? Creating this interface. As opposed to doing what we want to do in product management, which is trying to create more value than our customers actually thinking about and thinking about their bigger context of the problem than they probably actually are, which is often the case, right? How do you capture that bigger context, right? How do you not end up just kind of being software contract labor to develop this new interface? I, I think it's not too dissimilar to how any software product manager could fall into that trap if they've got a lead customer. Mm-hmm. And they they over you know over accommodate that single customer, and then they they turn themselves into that. So I think you're maybe more susceptible to it in in API world because it's it is such a technical product um, the way you're building it. But I think it's really important. So I always have a a vision meeting of this is what the vision we have for the API. Mm-hmm. These are the the target customers we want to serve, you know, and this is what the use cases we're hoping get enabled. Um, I think you're really in a dangerous situation if you say, you know, well, our API is going to be for for everyone and for everything, which is 
you know, the same trap that any product manager could come up to it would be like, well, this is the end all be all application. You know, right. you have to go through that same rigor of these are my target customers. This is our vision. And then you have to be able to say no, just like in any other product. Yeah. And this product is particularly interesting just because of all the security aspects that go around what's going to be the future of autonomous vehicles, right? Um, yeah. Because we want to make sure they show up at the right place at the right time and don't take people somewhere they're not expecting to go. Yeah. And so that that's also, you know, it's a collaboration with external partners, but yeah. we also have a very heavy backend API with how we talk to both cloud and vehicle systems on our side to make sure that happens. Yeah. Uh, very interesting. So I, I've enjoyed the discussion about APIs and thinking of them not just as a software tool, but as a product of their own and how you as a product manager, you know, have been a product manager over APIs in a few different settings. And it's a, a different way for me to think about it. And it's uh, helped my expand my perspective some on that. So appreciate you taking us through that. Absolutely. As listeners know, I love a good innovation quote. What did you choose? And uh, tell us about that one. Okay. So I cho chose a quote from a, uh, a mentor I had when I did an internship at NASA in college. And uh, it was to never jerry-rig something so poorly that it couldn't be permanent because it probably will be. Um, and this, this goes a little bit to your point of you don't want to under-engineer, but you don't want to over-engineer. Right. And so this is about not making your MVP 2M. Right. Not 2M. <laughs> yes. I like that. And that, this came up when my we discovered some some wires had been just banana clipped together, so they just basically exposed wires underneath a uh, a water chiller. <laughs> yeah, n not meant to last, but probably left in a situation where they were. Yep. And we have lots of good examples of that. Way back when, it seems ancient history now. You know, Y two K was a big deal because all of our computers were programmed to only keep track of of the year as two dates because we were saving memory and storage. With programs that were written in the 60s and 70s, and people never expected them to live that long, right? And yep. lo and behold, they were still still in use. So jerry-rigged to the right right amount of viability. Yep. <laughs> Good. Thanks for sharing that quote. If people want to follow up and collaborate more about APIs as a product, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Uh, on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn, Brian Hicks uh, with a Y. Uh, and then I'm, I'm working at Ford on autonomous vehicles. And I'll send you the link for your, for your notes. I will make sure it gets in the show notes for listeners. Brian, thanks for your time. Thank you. Thanks again for listening. And thanks for telling others about this valuable resource. Find the summary of the discussion with Brian at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 180. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit our blog at theeverydayinnovator.com.